Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that did make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisnyaks. Listeners, it is my profound and almost unhinged delight to welcome an author who I think most of you already know and love. Martha Wells has won Hugo's, Nebula's, Locus Awards, uh, a Dragon Award, has been nominated for pretty much everything under the sun. Martha Wells, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, it was, uh, it, it's been kind of a dream of mine to have you on the show kind of since I started it. And I realized this year, you know, I've worked with a number of other tour authors. And uh, so why not just ask? And, you know, the motto of the show is don't self-reject. And, I went for it, and here we are. Well, cool. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Um, and we're here to talk about your brand new Murderbot novel, System Collapse, which comes out on November the 14th. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, a beautiful book, uh, very fun. A warning for our listeners, there probably will be some spoilers for Network Effect, since System Collapse is a direct sequel. Um, that being said, is there anything we need to know before we get into the reading? Um, not really. It's Yeah, the important thing is that it is a direct uh, sequel to Network Effect. Um, and if people are still confused about the order, Fugitive Telemetry actually takes place before Network Effect. It's between exit strategy and network effect. Um, and yeah, it's uh, set on the planet that they had with the colony, the lost colony they had found in network effect. And it's basically um, Murderbot and um, arts crew still kind of trying to wrap up the the issue with the colonists there and trying to basically save them from the Barish Estranza Corporation. Mm -hmm. So um, I can go ahead and start if that's good. Lovely, okay. yes. Uh, it's, I'm going to start with chapter, I'm just going to do a little bit from chapter two. Perfect. Once we were out of sight behind an outcrop, I did a quick scan for stealth drones, then took my weight off Rathi and straightened up. He said, are you all right? I said, sure. Iris was watching me worriedly and pretending not to. She said, why don't you stay with us? We've only got one more router to do. I said, sure. <laughs> we climbed a rough trail back up to their shuttle, which was set down on a small flat plateau above the router site. Since I was staying with the humans, Art recalled my shuttle. It would hopefully make the lurking BE team think we had left. The original Barisha Stranza task force had told us the new arrivals were a scheduled reinforcement, not a response to the distress beacon they had sent. But Seth had said they were probably lying about that. And if they were lying, it meant that BE had more backup waiting at the wormhole somewhere relatively close to the system. 
which made sense if they had been sending multiple explorer groups to systems in this general area. But the real problem was that now BE had a supply ship and an armed explorer, and there was still no sign of a support ship from the University of Mahira in New Tideland, and we really needed one. Phase one of Plan A, get the hell out of here, had involved trying to get a specialized decontamination update to the colonist med units so they could run the alien decontamination protocol on each other. That took longer than it should have because all the medical equipment in the colony was proprietary branded corporate designs from 37 plus corporate standard years ago. Viago and Karimi had talked one faction of the colonists into sending us a copy of the software on their main medical unit and Art had removed any traces of contaminated code and modified its own decontamp package to run on old shitty equipment. Then each unit had to be individually accessed and reloaded with the cleaned and enhanced operating systems via elaborately overcautious procedures to eliminate cross-contamination or recontamination. Mostly in case we had fucked up massively and there were dormant virus fragments in place somewhere in the medical systems whose behavior didn't match the human-machine-human transmission pattern we had previously noted. Fortunately, between Art, me, our humans, and the colonists, the level of paranoia about virus contamination on this planet was more than adequate, even by my standards. Phase two of Plan A was the legal case to keep Barisha Stranza from asserting salvage right ownership of the colony's humans, which Pin Lee was still working on. Art's crew had also started a planetary alien contamination assessment, and things were looking iffy. There was a lot of technical detail I didn't care about, but basically if they couldn't make a good case to certify the contaminated site as sealable, then the planet would be placed under interdict and the colonists would have to leave anyway, and Barisha Stranza could make yet another case for claiming them as salvage. The first subsection of phase two involved asking the colonists what they wanted to do. I know, it seems simple. And I am aware of the irony, since I know exactly how hard the question, what do you want, can be when you don't have a fucking clue what you want. But we weren't talking existential questions of existence here, just the basic. Do you want to be salvaged by Barisha Stranza as corporate contract labor for the rest of your lives? Select one, yes, two, no. Hmm. The problem was who to ask. They've split into even more factions than they were when we arrived, the Iago had said, after collating early intelligence received via survey drones deployed by ART and by some calm conversations with different colonists. They've divided their compound up into at least two different areas, and other groups have scattered out to camps on the far side of the inhabited plateau. Karime, who is the primary negotiator on ART's crew, said, they've done things to each other that can't be easily forgiven. We know, and they know, it was caused by the alien contamination, but I think it's going to take time for them to come to terms with that. Time we're running out of, Mensa said. Which, it's not like I don't understand the whole idea of not forgiving stuff that happens to you, but it seems like they could not hate each other long enough to avoid getting turned into corporate slave labor, <laughs> and then start hating each other again after the threat assessment percentage went down. We took a shuttle over to the next router, which was on a small rocky hill west of the main colony site, surrounded by sparse clumps of gray-greenish spindly tree fern things. By the time we got there, the other current operation, the one I was supposed to be monitoring security for before redacted, was already in progress. I was bored, so I reversed Three's video to watch from the beginning. Karime had come down in a shuttle with Three, and they had disembarked on the secondary colony site's landing pad. 
The primary colony had been near the pre-corporation rim site and had been abandoned after the first encounter with alien contamination. The colonists had put this one on the lower terrace of a plateau, using heavy equipment to carve out chambers and passages before building their habitats on top. So the colony had both open air structures and below ground shelters to retreat to and to protect supplies and vital systems. Below the habitat, they had carved vehicle landing areas and ramps down to another agricultural installation and water production plant. Karime had to greet the colonists waiting for her. That took a while, so long I had time to catch up to real time where they had started up the rock-cut steps. The weather was clear over there, visibility good. We could replace me with an automated weather drone. That could work too. <laughs> Iris and Tarek started on the router, which looked like another big rock and was surrounded by a ferny tree grove. Part of it was a plain with reddish vegetation and some rocky outcrops. There was no way for the humans to get lost out here. There was art and the human colony wasn't far away and the comm was working and the lift tower for the dropbox shaft was visible in the distance, stretching up until it finally disappeared into the upper atmosphere. So even if the shuttle broke down, even if the comm and our feed stopped working, all they would have to do was walk toward the tower until one of Art's patrolling pathfinders came to look for them and called for another shuttle. <laughs> I could walk in the opposite direction, just walk until, yeah, I'm gonna tag this section for delete. <laughs> I accessed Three's drone feed so I had a better view of it in Karime. It was out of its armor, wearing an Enviro suit, pretending to be human. I tapped Three's feed and said, more casual, are you running your walk like a human code? Three replied, I am running the walk like a human code. But it slowed down, made its joints looser. After two seconds, it added, this is unexpectedly difficult. <laughs> Tell me about it. You're doing fine, I said. We didn't want the colonists to know three was a sec unit, mostly to fend off conversations about how much the giant angry planet bombing transport likes this sec unit and will it lose its mind if a rock falls on it or something. <laughs> the colonists thought three was just a really awkward augmented human. It's not like there aren't a lot of those around. Karime and three followed the colonists through the main part of the secondary colony and it looked way more like a human habitation than what was left of the original pre-corporation rim site which before coming here is not something I would have thought was a positive, but right now anything that didn't say major alien contamination incident in progress was a plus. This colony's occasional bits of exposed piping, recycling storage, decorative planting, and interrupted partial constructions all looked messy and human and very not hostile alien virus intending to take over your brain. Hmm. Because that had happened, almost happened. Art was all over this feed because it was not exactly thrilled with any of its humans going down to the planet at all. Transcript of the conversation during the initial mission briefing. Art, if Karima is present at the colony and the colonists or corporates attempt to harm her, a threat to bomb this site may be ineffective. Seth, Perry, can I speak to you for a moment in private? Iris, it's just joking. Rathy, is it? Me, you can bomb the terraforming engines on the other continent. It's a better target anyway. Thiago, I suppose Sec Unit is joking too. Art actually was joking, mostly. Iris told Thiago that he had undergone a traumatic experience and would verbally act out until it had fully processed what had happened. Thiago said he knew that, but he also thought it enjoyed terrifying people. Iris was pissed off and just smiled in an, I'm going to pretend you aren't serious so I don't have to fight you right here in this corridor way. I realize that Iris is Art's wrathy. Thiago is incorrect. Art doesn't enjoy terrifying people. It enjoys getting its own way, and it has a variety of techniques it finds effective for that, and vaguely or not so vaguely threatening statements are sure one of them. 
<laughs> Iris is also correct that art is still processing its traumatic experience and the fact that it had such a great result with arming its pathfinders and making the colonists think it was about to bomb the crap out of them is maybe something we should worry about. But I just have a lot to do right now, okay? I was not joking. The terraforming engines are a perfect target. Zero casualties if we evacuate the colony site immediately afterward and irreparable damage to infrastructure. I'm just saying. Even with three shadowing her, it wasn't easy to watch Karima follow her colonist guide through a doorway and down another set of steps into the depths of the habitation. From Art's personnel file, she was older than Mensa and she didn't look like an intrepid space explorer either, even in the protective environmental suit. I think I'm going to stop there because then we get into uh, that. Sounds good. More of the plot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, things things just sort of start happening and then don't stop. Yeah. Start happening. <laughs> well, well, thank. You. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. Uh, <laughs> theme of the episode, uh, just delightful um, and. I think that uh, fans of Murderbot are going to be surprised and delighted by the way things uh, progress from there. Now, this is, of course, Tales from the Trunk, so uh, I have to ask, are there any parts of this book that uh, ended up getting cut for whatever reason that are not spoilers for things that didn't uh, that you're just really sad to have seen go? Um, that's kind of complicated because I actually started writing it after I finished Fugitive Telemetry. Mm -hmm. And that was in like December, um, right before uh, 2020. Uh, yep, so, that, that's right, the time. <laughs> yeah, and um, I was trying to work on it but I hadn't really figured out the core of the novel, which is that um, Murderbot needed to recover or was needed to experience the trauma from what happened in Network Effect. Mm -hmm. And so I probably had, you know, four or five different beginnings, which is not uncommon with Murderbot novellas. Mm -hmm. Is, and the and network effect is that I'll write maybe 20,000 words and end up taking most of it out and having to start over. Mm -hmm. uh, with network effect, it probably took me a year to get the first 50,000 words, and that was starting over and over and over again. Um, but with this one, I, you know, that the first chapter um, didn't really exist at, at that point. And it was mostly the events in the second chapter I was working with. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just not going in. Then they kept the, the, the location kept moving around. They were out at the terraforming engines mm -hmm. um, for a couple of drafts. They were on another planet. They went <laughs> to another planet in one of the drafts. And it was just not coming together. And I ended up, it was really... Uh, I had writer's block for about six months mm -hmm. and then um, I just decided I got the idea for Witch King and kind of started working on that and stopped Reasonable. and finished it. And that really broke my writer's block. And when it was finished, I was able to come back and finally looked at what I had with system collapse and thought, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of usable stuff here. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'm just going to jump ahead to, cause I knew they were going to go 
look for more colonists. And so I, I, I'll just jump ahead to that part and start writing it. And once I did, it all started to come together. Mm-hmm. That so that was sense. a huge relief. Yeah. <laughs> so there's tons of stuff that didn't make it into the book. Right. And, yeah. You know, some of those ideas will probably go into um, maybe the next uh, Murderbot story, which I'm hoping when I get to working on it, it'll start pretty much after system collapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to hear that you know you kind of broke the writer's block by going and and writing Witch King, which totally makes sense. Um, but it's very encouraging to hear like, oh yeah, everybody gets writer's block, and mm-hmm. like just changing gears and working on something else, whether that is you know a Dragon Award winning fantasy novel or you know, just some random other thing is like a totally valid and great way to get out of that. Yeah, especially when you realize you're kind of banging your head against a wall and that there's something you haven't figured out yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of people, it's not necessarily writer's block where you just can't write. It's that there's something in your process that hasn't clicked over yet to, to really figure out what you want to do. And so that's why you just keep, you know, you're just kind of mm-hmm. treading water with the book and it's not going anywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of stepping away and doing something else, especially at that time. And I think I needed, I kind of needed a break, a real break from trying to write system collapse because it was just, you know, I was just, I had just gotten mm-hmm. myself in the corner and the, and the stress of the lockdowns and the pandemic and everything was just making it a whole much worse. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, not not to say that everything is uh, light and breezy in Witch King, but uh, it's, it's a different way of being, especially, uh, yeah, I can imagine, especially at the start of the lockdown when we're facing a global pandemic to be writing about uh, the way that Murderbot is is dealing with the trauma of, you know, this alien contamination that tried to kill it, tried to kill its friends, tried to kill, you know, everybody it cares about. Like, that definitely hits a, hits a way. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that system collapse ended up being about dealing with trauma and Mm -hmm. witch king in a lot of ways is about dealing with trauma personal trauma historical trauma cultural trauma um and trying to use that um to keep going basically yeah so i kind of it took me a while to realize that until someone pointed out that that's what witch king is about it's like oh yeah it really is Mm -hmm. sometimes you're just doing this you don't really realize so it was kind of (laughs) funny my the two books started you know written during the worst that first year of the pandemic um Mm -hmm. and then the second worst year of the pandemic and the third worst year um were are about basically processing trauma yeah it's funny how that worked out Weird how art tends to, you know, reflect things that are happening in the artist's life. Who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? Yeah, yeah, who would have thought? Um, yeah. So, I know that this is, uh, 
in some ways kind of a difficult book to talk about without spoiling things, but are there any parts that you're really excited for listeners to get to uh, that just, like, you're so happy that this got to stay in the final draft of System Collapse? The probably my favorite part, hopefully this isn't too spoilery, is when Murderbot comes up with the solution to how to persuade the colonists. Mm-hmm. And um Big same. Big same. Yeah, that was such a fun moment. I haven't seen people mention it yet. Actually, <laughs> that mm-hmm. was like my favorite. I really felt like that was the core of the book a lot for Murderbot. It's um Processing trauma is a big part of that, but but media for communication mm-hmm. and um, uh, for understanding, using media uh, as a method of understanding other people, yeah, um, uh, was such a big part of Murderbot's evolution, and um, the fact that um, it realizes how to do that. Mm-hmm. Like this, you know, it, you know, you know, it can be done, but the fact that this is what we need to do and we need to do it now, we need to do it in yeah. a hurry. Um, it is, it is really kind of the most Murderbot way that doesn't involve murdering the shit out of anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's yeah, and I think it's also a way. It's it's very. Uh, yeah, it's very characteristic of Murderbot, and it's also kind of how I want to show Murderbot thinking, how it approaches solving problems is different mm-hmm. from the way uh, a human person would do it. Like yeah. um, Fugitive Telemetry, um, <clears throat> I had some trouble working on that until I kind of realized Murderbot would not solve a mystery like a normal human detective Mm-hmm. It would not go and question people because it doesn't, you know, it the way it processes data and the way it handles things, it's not going to be able to get as many clues from just talking to a human as another sure. human. But what it would do is like build a database and try mm-hmm. to, because it's like that dealing with that vast amount of data is something humans would find incredibly intimidating, but for it, that's no big deal. Yeah. Yes, we can, we can figure out where every person on this station was, or most of them, you know, and at that exact moment, and that's worth, and that's mm-hmm. worth it. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of, like, making personal pleas or something like that that humans would think of doing, the idea of, like, assembling the information mm-hmm. into a package that the humans could understand that yep. it was familiar with would be like a, a thing that would come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I just wanted to say on, in regards to the, the way that Murderbot solves the, the problem in fugitive telemetry. Uh, I found very appealing um, because partly because of my job in information security that like, it felt very, you know, this this is kind of the way that we solve problems, you know, nowadays in information security is assemble, you know, these vast databases and sy- synthesize it down uh, and, like, that it really isn't something that can just be 
either uh, a fully organic uh, process, nor can it be like a fully machine-driven process. Yeah. Uh, and that works great with Murderbot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... that's it, we love lots of things about Murderbot. We love that it has robot autism. Uh, and we absolutely love, like, I love the way that, uh, I love the way that it talks about otherness in a way that is neither wholly, uh, negative nor wholly positive. Yeah. Uh, but in, in a way that is, like, extremely human while also reminding everybody, hey, I'm not actually a human. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that's really kind of important to me is trying to um, write a character that's really as close to um, what, you know, a, a machine intelligence mm -hmm. human neural tissue would seem like. <laughs> as a as a just a, a person a human could get um kind of like how writing alien characters and mm -hmm. um it always gets frustrating when people don't want to when uh you readers don't want to accept the character on their own terms mm -hmm. um yeah it's sort of like you know if you don't want to accept the premise of the book then, then yeah. don't read uh, yeah. Sorry, can't really help you there. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, if you don't accept this 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 premise, then there's really nothing I can say to convince you. So yeah, uh, it's not really a, a yeah. argument to have. Uh, we, we're sorry, this book is not for you. Thing, not everything has yeah. to be for everybody, and that's okay. Uh, but we are sorry that this book is not for you. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Before we wrap up, I know we've mentioned Witch King briefly. Uh, do you want to talk to our listeners either about Witch King or about any other uh, projects that you have out right now or that are forthcoming that you're really excited to uh, to share with the world? Uh, yeah, Witch King came out in May. Um, it's... Uh... Uh, it was the book that broke my writer's block, so I'm really, uh, really fond of it. Mm -hmm. Also, I think it helped that it's a, um, the characters are traveling through one of the storylines and just being able to kind of, Murderbot has that really intensely focused point of view because it doesn't, even though it has, it's being able to access all these cameras and see what other people are doing, it it's really has to be kind of an internal tight narrative. Mm -hmm. And Witch King is very expansive because it's they're traveling through this landscape and and also it's nice starting a series like that because you're back at the moment of creation. You don't have to worry mm -hmm. about what you did before. You can just make stuff up. <laughs> For so sure. and that's that's a lot of fun. So it was nice going back to fantasy and and going back to that that kind of just really enjoying creation and coming up with all this different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a second fantasy come out. It's the author's preferred edition of City of Bones, which mm -hmm. was my second novel. And Tor, um, they had gone out of print for a long time. Tor, uh, Tor.com bought the rights and reissued it in ebook and trade paperback with a, just a lovely new cover by Jamie Jones, who does the Murderbot covers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that came out in September. 
and then now I have system collapse coming out um, in a couple of weeks. So that's all been, <laughs> it's yeah. been a big year. It's, and it's it been has. a busy year for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Uh, what I'm working on now is I'm working on a sequel to Witch King. Uh, that's been slowed down because since I was diagnosed with breast cancer mm-hmm. uh, earlier this summer, um, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, two surgeries and radiation and all this other stuff going on. So yeah. I'm working on it and hopefully um, it will be finished um, next year, but it's probably not going to come out at least until um, the year after that, just because that's, that's uh, how publishing be. <laughs> that's how publishing works. It takes at least a year to get on the schedule and everything. Yeah. Um, and to produce the book. So there's that. Um, oh, also in February, I think it is, Tor.com is putting out two other, or um, they're putting out a combined edition of The Element of Fire and The Death of the Necromancer. Oh, nice. And those were those are authors' preferred editions. I've gone back in and edited. And The Element of Fire was my first novel that came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Death of the Necromancer was my third novel. And that was, I think, 1997 or 98. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's coming out in February. And again, with another gorgeous cover. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, 97. Yes, 97. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- and was nobula- nominated for the Nebula in 1998. Yeah, yeah, that was like my first award nomination. And before Murderbot, I was pretty sure that was going to be my only award nomination. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, all of those are very exciting. And listeners, if you only know Martha's work through Murderbot, I definitely recommend checking out her other novels. Uh, there is quite a back catalog uh, that I think will more than hold you over, uh, depending on how fast you read, hold you over certainly until System Collapse releases, uh, and also depending on the speed of your reading and how many rereads you do, should hold you over to the next Witch King and the next Murderbot as well. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if, for whatever reason, that doesn't hold our listeners over is there anything that you've been particularly enjoying in the wider media landscape that you'd like to uh pump up uh yeah i um enjoy nevo's books she just Mm, had mm -hmm. come out um um oh mammoth at the gate Mm, mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's a short novella series a fancy series it's just really good um Kate Elliott uh, has had the second book of her um, space opera, mm, mm-hmm. Serious Heaven. That was great. Really enjoyed that. I'm really looking forward to the third book. Um, Andrea Hairston has a new uh, novel coming out. Uh, I've actually, I haven't read it yet. I've got it to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, Oh, The Water Outlaws by S.L. Wong. It's H-U-A-N-G. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've, again, it's just like I've just, <laughs> yeah, when you have all this medical stuff going on, it's really hard to concentrate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've been, I've been waiting that book for a while, and now I've got it, and it's like I can't wait to have a chance to get started on it. But for yeah, sure. there's just so much good stuff coming out. Elliot de Bodard has had a n- another novel come out. 
again, I haven't had a chance to start. Um, and she's been one of my favorite in fantasy and science fiction. Um, yeah. So, the, yeah. And it's just, there's, there's so much right out, out right now that, yeah, it's, it's, there's so much to read. There's so much to read. As my dad always says, so many books, so little time. Yes. Finally, before we go, Martha, where can our listeners find you elsewhere? Oh, uh, my website is MarthaWells.com, and that's got links. I'm on Blue Sky now. I'm on mm -hmm. Mastodon. Um, I'm on, uh, I guess that's it. <laughs> no, that's that's, that's enough. Yeah, well, actually, I'm trying to keep up with Instagram now, so I'm Martha mm -hmm. Wells Writer on Instagram. Yeah, uh, definitely would recommend, if you like pictures of cats... Uh, or want to see unboxing videos for, say, the Dragon Award that you just won, <laughs> that's a great place to be. I always enjoy seeing uh, cat updates from you. <laughs> well, Martha Wells, thank you so, so much for joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed talking to you. It was a, it was a fun conversation. Absolutely. Uh, it's... I'll, I've said it a million times before, I'll say it again right now, doing this podcast is, I think, one of my favorite creative things I've ever done, uh, and it really, uh, it's all thanks to the amazing, wonderful, kind, generous guests that I have, and uh, to you, our listeners, so thanks, everyone. <laughs> uh Listeners, do tune in in uh, two weeks when I will be talking to publisher of The Deadlands, Sean Markey. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Blue Sky at trunkcast.bluesky.social, and I post at hbbisniex.bluesky.social. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>